Blog Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Snake Oil Radio here on Blog Talk Radio. This is your host, Jim Ventura. Thanks for joining me today. Uh, whether you're uh, catching the show live or in uh, archive, uh, again, welcome. Um, I'm going to be doing a live column read from this month's column and then subsequent discussion about that in some more detail. So I will not uh, be taking live calls uh, on today's show, but I have some updated news about um, a live call-in show in two weeks that I'll give you a little bit later on uh, as I have another guest coming up in a few weeks. So we'll get to that in a bit. Um, first time tuning into the show, again, my name is Jim Ventura. I'm a professional astrologer, navigational consultant with expertise in astrology and numerology and um, multiple types of oracles like uh, tarot cards and runestones and various things. Um, I do personal sessions here in my home office in Phoenix, as well as via Skype and by phone uh, or even through FaceTime for out-of-area clients. All that good information is available on my website at jimventura.com. Also, a published author of a couple of books, and I do a uh, every other month column called Snake Oil, which is what the show is connected with, um, that you can uh, access for free by emailing me at VenturaSage at Yahoo.com and being added to the uh, free mailing list to get the every, every other month column, which is blind copied out, so never, never get your email address from me, and there's no added cell stuff connected with it by any means, um, just that we're able to read my books and columns in advance. All right, so um, all that good stuff, again, all that info available on the website, um, what I generally do each month is a, uh, a live column read uh, and then a little bit more of a discussion about it, um, and that is what we're going to do today. Um, so before I, I kind of dive into the column for this month, and when I say this month, it's every other month, but, not, you know, just this month. Um, next show that I will be doing will be April 22nd. Um, I'm going to catch that show because I'm going to be interviewing an astrologer named Ash, an up-and-coming astrologer, very brilliant young woman. And uh, she's going to talk a little bit about my astrology chart for maybe the first half hour. And then for half hour, 45 minutes, we're going to turn over the phone lines so that you may call in and ask Ash um, some astrological questions about your own charts or just astrology in general that she will be doing um, on her April 22nd show. So definitely mark that on the calendar and check that out um, so you can uh, be part of that. And uh, she's got some, some great insights um, that will be fun to be able to access. So April 22nd. All right. 3.30 Phoenix time, which is the same as uh, Pacific time right now. Phoenix never changes the clock, and I will just interject why is everybody not doing that already, and we get rid of the saving light savings, daylight like savings nonsense, but not, what are you going to do? Jewish battles. <laughs> okay. Anyway, so now this month's column is called Drowning Cat, and uh, um, I had a, a wonderful uh, Libra uh, regular client of mine that got didn't want to read it because she thought it was going to be a disturbing story about somebody drowning cats, uh, <laughs> and uh, when you hear it, you'll understand it has a, a bit of a different meaning behind it, So, um, and also uh, 
paraphrase by saying that this column was actually from way back in 2006 when this was written. Uh, I do occasionally run an older column, especially because a lot of people have not heard them uh, when they're that old. Uh, but most of my columns are actually kind of on the newer side since I only do it every other month. But this column I thought was particularly important after what we sort of came out of in the last month or so. So let's kind of dive right into Drowning Cat, my stake oil column. Last summer, the monsoons opened floodgates of rain all across the valley. The same thing will likely happen again this July. In the summer, the heat builds up in Phoenix, eventually culminating in a series of powerful rainstorms. During a particularly intense storm one July night last year, I slept comfortably in my home while the rain poured down. Beside me, my two cats were inside and safe from the storm. It was after midnight, and I was tucked cozily into bed with my back patio doors wide open so I could fall asleep, listening to the sound of the intense rain. Since among shouts of thunder and lightning flashes, I heard a sound of a crying cat. I got up and looked out my upstairs condominium balcony to see if I could spot the distressed animal. I wondered, should I go outside and try to save this poor little creature? If I could find the animal trapped by the rains, could I even get it to come to me? My cats would freak out if I brought another cat inside. I desperately wanted to help the poor little thing, but I could do nothing. I felt powerless. As the cat continued to moan and the rains poured, I paced back and forth wondering what I should do. It had been a tough week and many of my clients were experiencing difficult times. Just like the powerful storms in nature, people seem to go through cyclical personal storms, and my clients were no exception. A slew of exhausted, overwhelmed friends and clients had left messages on my answering machine or by email. It seemed like everyone was feeling like a drowning cat. I did my best to comfort them during their sessions, yet I felt like I hadn't done enough. There was a cat drowning in a storm outside my backyard, and many people I know were seemingly caught in personal rainstorms. I finally closed the doors and windows that night, and I realized there was nothing I could do for the stranded cat. The rains would eventually let up, and he would probably be okay. I mentally asked the angel to protect this lost and scared little creature. I'd done the best I could with my panic clients this week, and with this stranded cat, so I finally fell asleep. I have notable empathy for anyone suffering or going through difficult times. I've been a drowning cat myself a few times. We're all human in this game together. And in some respects, when one suffers, we all suffer. Yet there are other types of drowning cats. There are people who are like magnets to crisis. Sympathy can become a cage for the fixers who continue to help people who never change. Very few people haven't had a friend who stays in a miserable, abusive marriage, who hasn't spent years listening to someone bitching while doing anything to change where they are. How many parents protect and support adult children who refuse to grow up and take responsibility for their own lives? I was ripped off for thousands of dollars 16 years ago by a young man who came from an extremely abusive background. I sympathized with him 
and desperately wanted to help this poor man get his life back together. After a year of financial assistance and being kind of a rock for him to lean on, he destroyed me emotionally and financially. I learned that sometimes people who have been victimized turn into victimizers themselves. I've watched countless friends, family members, and clients who have given until it hurts and they're left decimated by similar types of people. Kindness and healthy boundaries can be a difficult course to navigate. We often forget that karma balances everything and acts without judgment. There are times when, if we intercede, we may be blocking the growth and development of another human being. We might shield them from dealing with the repercussions of their actions. Sometimes rescue is not only futile, but can be a veiled attempt to control someone else. It's not our job to play parent and protector for everyone in our circle. Helping others is an important part of our purpose here on Earth. We are here to help each other. We also need to protect ourselves if we are emotionally, financially, physically, or mentally out of balance because of an attempt to get someone on the, quote, right path. You may have missed the mark. It's important to be able to discern when helping someone is not the answer. If you give money to a drug addict for a meal and he uses it to get high, have we actually helped him at all? My studies of how karma works have helped me to gain some detachment in respect to the injustices that I often see that occur in this world. But I'm always privy to the larger pictures. On the other hand, I often watch people who place themselves in difficult circumstances over and over again. Like gluttons for punishment, they reunite with abusive spouses, stay in jobs they hate, cling tenaciously to the poisons they ingest, refuse to take steps necessary to make the needed changes. I've even had a few clients over the years who have tried to blame me for their problems. You said I would be married by January of 2006. The card said my house would sell by November. Why were they wrong? This 100% accuracy with prediction is impossible. Life is a series of choices that shift and alter all the time. I'm not stuck with only one path to choose. People who believe they are victims often find themselves at wit's end. They believe so firmly that there is no way out of their difficulties or fear of taking action. They do nothing to change the uncomfortable situations they find themselves in. They cling to limiting beliefs and no-win situations. Often the cards point a way out, but these people do not follow the path suggested and need someone or something to blame on. Like drowning cats, they cry in the rainstorm and wait to be rescued, but often unconsciously believe they can't be saved. I leaned over the balcony the next morning. The sun was out, and there was little evidence of the evening rains left behind. No sign of the stranded cat. The brick-fed place on my shoulders were gone. Something was clearer inside of me. I'll always be a man who cares for others. I will still feel empathy for my friends and clients who continue to find themselves in a difficult situation. Nothing will change that part of me, and that's exactly how I want it to be. I'm not capable of saving everyone, nor do I need to. I know of a powerful ally on my side, God, all that is, the Tao, our true parent. The source will never abandon any of his or her children, even during difficult times who are watched over by spirit. Sometimes we need to go through difficulty to pay back the karmic debt. Often our dark passage is the very thing that transforms us. 
often take years before we see the value of enduring hardship. Sometimes when we hit rock bottom, the process is the very thing that awakens us. I'm guessing that the drowning cat made it through the night. Cats are survivors, and I'm betting that this one survived. And even if he didn't, he's returned home to the spirit world and is safe and happy again. Okay, so this was a column I wrote, um, I believe I wrote this in, like, November of 2006. So uh, I don't think I had ever run it again. It's mind-boggling how long ago that was now. So I thought, good time to run it again. The original version of this appears, by the way, in my first book, uh, Snake Oil Volume 1, which is a collection of the first, like, five years of my column from 2003 to, I think, 2008, um, and, and that's accessible on Amazon or similar sites. Um, when I originally wrote this. So a couple of interesting things um, about rewriting this and talking about this again, having, you know, come out of an incredibly difficult year um, for for so many of us in, in different degrees. And we can get a little bit into that in a minute here. A few things I'd like to kind of point out. One, um, which is funny uh, in this context, is we didn't really have a monsoon season last um, July. <laughs> for some bizarre reason, the weather patterns were, you know, very questionable, and we hardly had any monsoon at all in the summer of 2020. Um, I have a great theory about that. It was just like so much pent up energy and anger and frustration. And it just never took a relief valve. The rain tends to sort of bring when it comes. Uh, we did finally have some rain in the fall and over the last few months we've had a little bit, but summer was bizarro. We just did not really have a monsoon season. So this was obviously not, you know, written again at a different point. Uh, the other point, um, that I, I kind of wanted to bring up is, um, you know, I, I do this sort of interesting gauge every month or so because, you know, there's about 1,700 people getting my column uh, at this point over the years. And, and some of them were from requests. Also, often after I have a session with someone, I kind of just add them to the mailing list. And, you know, he says, if you want to be removed at any time, just let me know. So, you know, every month, uh, or every uh, every column, uh, it's, it's uncommon to have people not add themselves, you know, request to add to get the column, as also as well as people adding to be um, taken off the mailing list. And, and there's a host of different reasons why people do that, and I take very little bit of that uh, personally. Sometimes people um, just never really get around to reading it, or they just don't have an interest in it, or they don't like my slant or viewpoint on, on philosophy, or, you know, uh, they're just not really interested in the metaphysical stuff at all. Um, and then, you know, more commonly, they're stupid. <laughs> I had to say that. Um, so, I, you, know, you know, that's just what it is. But this one was interesting. I had a lot of people that asked, I had a lot, I say a lot, it was about six that asked to be removed from the mailing list. And what's funny is I don't know everyone on my mailing list anymore. I mean, you know, it's just so many people that I you know, I can't always track. But it's a fair amount of people who I recognize who they were, their clients I've worked with. And I had one of the clients that asked to be removed from a mailing list is a, is a young woman I worked with many, many times who um, I believe had to go back, and she's in like maybe her late 30s, early 40s, you know, during COVID times and go live with her parents 
uh, I think she had lost her work and was really struggling, and she went back to live with her parents. So, um, you know, she's uh, been a client of mine, and she, you know, was really into astrology, and, and, and she even does astrology herself. And she got angry, I'm thinking, when she read this and didn't like maybe that I said she was, you know, something was off with her for being living with her parents again. Uh, this is the stuff that makes me roll my eyes, just the silliness of, of hurt feelings over nonsense. Um, and, you know, and I get this often, interestingly enough, um, from people who, sometimes long-term clients and people who get sort of irritated if, if my writing suggests that you might have to take some ownership for your illness or your experience or your situation um, and they, you know, they, they, they get mad at me and they stop reading me or, or get angry. And, you know, from, from a writer's perspective, of course, it largely makes me proud, you know, because it's just such a childishly odd response at one level or another, not very metaphysical. You know, uh, listen, when you own the idea that we do have influence and connection to our reality that we create and, and we ultimately do create a reality through our beliefs and, you know, we, we, we can't step out of that when something is bad. You know what I mean? We, we go through different processes where we're successful and then we have challenges and we make mistakes and this is part of that process of learning. So well, I'll point that out. I had a few of those types of things and I thought that was very interesting, um, some of the childishness that I encounter in people. Uh, okay, so mostly, and what's most important about all of this is, yeah, listen, um, very few people were, were tainted, were not tainted by some difficulty in the last year. So I sort of thought, you know, the drowning cat analogy was one um, that was kind of worth rerunning because, you know, I had some challenges in the last year. Um, I had lots of friends who challenges. You know, one of the things I had pointed out is that COVID not only affected a lot of people financially and practically and, of course, physically and, and health-wise, but it acted as kind of, um, you know, a bit of a battering ram to a lot of relationships and familial situations. Uh, you know, astrologically, much of the configuration behind this was Capricorn, What's that directly opposite? Capricorn is cancer, which represents the home and the family and the people we love and we see as family members. And this, and there was a lot of tests around that as well, too. So you're not crazy if you went through some, some tests in those areas. Um, you know, there's people that are, you know, still not talking to each other for political reasons and energetic ones and all kinds of things. So, yeah, this was a a battering ram of energy in multiple ways and how it affected people. So, you know, kind of getting back to the, the issue with the, with the drowning cat and that sense of responsibility. Yeah. This is what I was kind of getting at. We kind of walk an interesting line of, of empathy, which you definitely want to have, you know what I mean? Without it, we're, we know we lose a lot of our humanity and, and healthy detachment. In fact, I was talking to um, a client this morning, a very um, sharp, regular client of mine for many, many years, and we were talking a bit about self-responsibility and, and, and um, the difference between, you know, mature souls and, and old souls. And anyway, so long story short, without getting a lot of particular details about what we talked about, one of the things I had pointed out is she's sort of noticing that there's just a heightened sort of 
anxiety in the world in general. Um, and that it's a, you know, it seems to be a tougher place. Um, and and I, I think that some of that is valid um, for, for a lot of different reasons. Um, one of them is because, you know, and this comes from some teachings I've talked about in other shows, and, and I do some of this teaching um, in some of the classes I do, and that info is on my website, by the way, um, available classes about the Michael teachings. So one of the things that had happened um, accordingly, according to the Michael teachings, as we as we progressed into the 2000s, it represents, from their perspective, a move from young soul perceptions to mature soul consciousness. Um, you know, in other kind of New Age perceptions, um, it, we we see it as an age of enlightenment or um, the age of Aquarius from astrological perspectives. And listen, all of these things are different formulas explaining the same thing but in a different context so yeah the, the idea with the michael teachings is that the average soul age on the planet right now is first level mature now that means we still have a planet full of baby souls and young souls and mature souls and old souls but the average age is mature soul so we move from the young soul perceptions to a mature soul kind of um arena so what that means is, you know, the mature soul energy is about emotions and feelings and relationships and empathy and, and, and walking in other people's shoes and, you know, think of, like, the extremism of, of like, soap operas <laughs> where the intense emotional feelings connected with other people that we feel um, very different from the young soul stuff, which is sort of like he who dies with the most toys wins logic and all about kind of climbing the ladder of success on the physical plane. So the general populace is moving more toward an acceptance of that diversity and difference and, and different type of way of being, you know, sexually and energetically and racially and in all kinds of different areas. So which is a good thing. That's the good thing about, you know, mature soul energy pumping itself into a society at one level or another. Um, we are, you know, I know it's hard to see this now, but it can seem like we're less racially or sexually tolerant than we have been before. But as I've kind of pointed out in other shows, and let me really reiterate this because it's important, typically when, when society is at a dysfunction, um, often things will become heightened and uglier before society transforms. So what can appear to be, a, you know, a level of racism and, and other things that is surfacing, and it's more than it appears to be, yet there's an underlying current of that that needed to come to surface for a lot of people. Um, you know, that is a process that can lead to a transformation, an awakening for more people of the fact that it's kind of a bad way of being, of thinking and, and, and being that way. Much of this was... Um, you know, brought to the surface in the summer of 2020 with the uh, George Floyd uh, situation that is now currently a trial going on over the, the cop who, uh, you know, w was part of that, 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 that death of, of George Floyd. So whatever your perspective on it, it's bringing up, um, you know, a, a, the, you know the, the specter of racism in, in its existence. So, again, this is largely a lot of mature soul energy pumping in that has the potential to awaken a lot of people to the plight of others and to expand society in an emotional way that's of benefit. Yeah, so always keep that in mind. There's also that, like that personally. 
a lot of times when we go through really terrible stuff, you know, it's because we're going through some type of transformation and it's meant to kind of change our beliefs, the way we see ourselves, where we put our energy, and then we can kind of come out the other side wiser and stronger and on more solid ground, precisely because we walk through that. So society will do that too. This is like how things just operate in society. Getting back to your original point, when I talk about the mature soul consciousness that's so prevalent, you know, each soul age kind of learn, has a way that it learns. So uh, skipping the infant soul energy because we have not very many infant souls on the planet. And again, just to reiterate, there's nothing to do with physical age. Um, it has to do with, with uh, you know, the age of the soul. So you can be a baby soul who's, you know, 54 years old. You can be a baby soul who's 13 years old. It's the soul age that, that's the reference. So in a nutshell, baby souls learn through, through uh, pain. That is what inevitably teaches them to grow, to evolve, to expand is, is pain. That is how they learn. Um, for younger souls, um, younger souls learn through loss. Um, you know, think of like think of the most classic song by Harry Chapin, Cats in the Cradle. You know, when he sings about, you know, he spends his life working and making money and he doesn't have time for his son and, and his son keeps saying, I'm going to be like you, Dad. And then as he becomes an older man, he understands that um, he lost that time with his son because his priorities were askew in that sense. That's a very kind of young soul, maybe a little mature flavor to it, but it's largely a young soul lesson to go through that, you know, and then there could be loss in, in more extreme ways, you know, um, uh, politically, you know, again, it's a lot of politics, but just as a reference point currently, um, if you know about what's happening with the, um, with the uh, senator from Florida, Matt Gates is going through some trashing of reputation and all kinds of stuff, and he ain't going to come out of this well. Um, Matt Gates, if you, you know, look at him, you understand soul age is clearly early, you know, young soul. It's not a lot of freaking depth there. <laughs> you know, to me, it's a bonafide frat boy that kind of went down the, you know, I'm going to, you know, pantomime the more extreme behavior of Trump and all of those things and, and, and see where that gets me. So kind of caught up with him. So he's going to lose, he might potentially lose his seat as a congressman. He's certainly losing his reputation. Young souls learn through loss. Mature souls learn through anguish. So it almost sort of becomes like a perpetual addiction to being in anguish, anguish about your family, anguish about your friends. What you find with mature souls is, again, there's a heightened awareness and empathy and understanding philosophically, which is typical of mature soul consciousness. Um, but, you know, the, the, the mature soul perception is like do it anywhere but here. Um, and that becomes a mature soul thing, the realization that sometimes family members, friends, certain people, much as you might love them or care about them, like you, you cannot be around it. It's just causing you eternal anguish and discomfort, um, and, and it's too much for you. So, so yeah, um, if it feels like there's a heightened empathy within the world, uh, not heightened empathy, excuse me, um, well, both a heightened empathy and a heightened anguish, that's because there is, and, and that's just what you're perceiving. You know, it's a little bit of a no-win kind of a dance that, that's kind of going on energetically, and that's where a lot of that, that anguish, uh, you know, stems from, you know, as we tilt more into the mature soul consciousness. 
Now, if you're an older soul, um, you know, you have something that mature souls have a harder time accessing, which is detachment, to see the larger picture, to be able to, you know, detach and not only empathize and feel, but understand, again, in the larger picture, there are things we can't control and larger reasons why things happen. So when in Rome, um, as an, you know, as a mid to late older soul myself, um, you know, I have to be careful because there are times when my detachment is unnerving to people. Um, it's not that I don't have empathy and, and, and kindness and understanding. Trust me, I got that in spades. Um, it's just there are times when I, you know, I have to reach that point where I recognize there's nothing I can do, that this is something someone needs to go through. This is part of, of a larger societal process. And, you know, I'll mention this in, in a way that, again, can, uh, like I said, sometimes make people uncomfortable. I observed a lot of that um, in the last year um, with COVID, as an example. Um, you know, never once did I waver in, in feeling tremendous empathy for uh, people going through it and people who got ill and people lost family members and people who were sick and all of those things. I mean, you know, I, I, I feel for, for anyone who's gone through, you know, such tough tests in, in one way or another. But the older soul part of me with my detachment and kind of larger picture perspective, I understand a few things. One, that pandemics do happen. Um, from time to time in society, not often, thankfully, when society needs to make certain changes, when there's a tremendous imbalance, often racially and financially and, um, and, and, and just in terms of fairness, pandemics often will surface. I also recognize that, you know, the uncomfortable one, that planet will call sometimes and, and take some people off the planet. For, for different ways, you know, this is not as crazy as it sounds. There are earthquakes and tornadoes and 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 landslides and and mass illnesses that that remove people. So we don't have to take away our empathy and our sadness over those losses, but we understand in the larger picture that this is a reality of the physical plane in this world. That sometimes things like this occur. And you know, I I, I had noticed this. I was. Um, I was uh, in Vegas um, about a week and a half ago, and it was interesting because it was um, the end of March Madness. So Vegas was packed, which was really trippy because I'm not, you know what I mean? It's been, you know, I go to Vegas every couple of months anyway, but I haven't seen it like that busy. So it was like normal old Vegas. And you have to wear a mask in the casino, although the security guards are getting tired of that too a little more lax. And outside, of course, people have their masks taken off and walk around. Um, and um, what just sort of occurred to me was I was looking at a lot of the people in Vegas. And, you know, much of it is Americans now. There's not a lot of travel from Europe and other places, which Vegas often absorbed a lot of it. Um, it's a lot of um, Americans, you know, for, for obvious reasons at this point. And, I just, when I look at people in America, you know, I see fit people, I see unfit people, I see tall people, I see, you know, every you know, racial color of the rainbow, which is awesome, something I love, by the way, I love the diversity around us, but I also see a ton of people that are obese and, and, and incredibly overweight 
and and in those little rascal chairs, kind of driving around and and just observing the way people eat and what they do. And, and, and none of this stems from judgment because, like, my own dad, the last six, seven years of his life was in a, a wheelchair of sorts, so, you know, a rascal, what I call him a rascal, and, you know, with oxygen and all those things getting around. And I loved that there was enough medicine and things to keep my dad alive longer because my dad was a wonderful man. And he, but he didn't take care of the health of his body and his physicality, um, too much of his life, and in his defense, he, you know, had a wife and seven kids to take care of, and, you know, in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, so it was a different world. He didn't attend to working out and eating well and taking care of himself, so no, no, anyway, attack on any of this. As much as I think to myself, I think a lot of America getting hit so hard with this is we're not the healthiest society uh, physically. So yeah, uh, if there's a if there's a pandemic, if there's a you know an illness that is prevalently stronger than normal, the issue becomes how strong is your immune system to fend it off. So you know, in no way am I you know anti this or anti that about what people need to do and how they handle these things. But as from from perspective of an observer, as an old soul, yeah. Um, I, none of this surprises me that the United States got hit heavy with this, and a lot of people were were, were removed in that way. And, and, and if anyone who's ever read any of my columns understands, I, I'm not talking conspiracy theories here and, you know, little twizzling men with their mustaches, ha, 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 secretly planting chips. We're not talking about any of that stuff, even if there's even some small validity to some of any of that. It's not where my head goes. To me, in the larger picture, sometimes the planet will cull and um, and 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 people are, are removed for a lot of different reasons, and it doesn't mean we don't have our empathy and our feelings about that. We don't do our best to help them and, and heal, but this is just reality. So this is again what I sort of mean by an old soul kind of perspective of this. That um, seems cold. It's not. It just is. And by the way, I mentioned how young souls learn and how you know baby souls learn and how mature souls learn through anguish. The only thing that works for old souls is, like, terror. Because anguish won't work. <laughs> uh, loss won't work. Pain doesn't really work. Um, you know, classic, you know, I, I always joke about that, the classic old soul thing is even if I take medicine, like the medicines take like crap. I don't need it dressed in gummy bears, you know. I've been, uh, I've been, in the last month I was ingesting a teaspoon of, of black currant oil, which was amazing, by the way. It cleared kidney and 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 my bladder and multiple things that I was having some issue with and really radically cleared a lot of physical things that were off kilter in me. So I highly recommend that, by the way. Um, black seed oil uh, from from uh, uh, you can get uh, research this online. Fascinating, um, but um, you know it tastes like hell. <laughs> it's disgusting, and, you know. And then you take it, and then you're burping it up through the day from here and there too. So it's gross. But it, it gets me to an old soul thing. I just sort of like think, like that's how medicine's supposed to be. It's not supposed to taste like candy. You know what I mean? It's a reminder that you're working on something and it's curing and, and affecting something at, at, at some very physical levels there, and, and it and effectively did. But when I joke about the only thing that teaches old souls is terror. What I mean by that is if you're too old, so you know what I'm talking about. Every once in a while you go through some like horrific thing in your life that just wakes you up and makes you smell the coffee 
you know, like think of the more extreme energy of the tower in a tarot reading in that way when it's just like, boom, you know, and just facing something that just scares the bejesus out of you, you know what I mean? And then you get through it, and you're like, oh, God, I don't even know why I was so worried about that. I had so much anxiety about it. Um, so it's kind of an old school understanding of those occasional processes that we go through. But, yeah, there's a heightened anguish that exists within society is affecting a lot of people at this point in the game. And so that is, to me, what I was also really wanting to bring up with the issue with the drowning cat. Um, Yeah, you know, you do your best to help the people you love and that you care about, but, you know, we can't save everyone. We can't save everything. Um, There's a line that we have to walk in insanity. And, And when I wrote this piece, I had two cats. Now, I'm a fan of having one cat. Um, I have a home office, um, and a lot of clients are allergic to cats or cat hair and things like that. So having one cat, I can kind of clean up after it, and you know what I mean, and I live in a condo. Having two kind of tilts that a little bit. So for a brief while, I had two cats. It was only two years. And um, but three or four is, is just impossible. Um, I had a client years ago who is a wonderful woman, and she had like seven dogs because she rescues dogs in her house. And I remember one of her complaints was that she has trouble finding a partnership and a relationship. Uh, You think? You got seven dogs in the house. I mean, listen, you're an awesome human being. (laughs) Trust me. I love rescuing animals, and I'm a very big fan of that. But you have a house, and who could fit him in among all that dog hair and all those dogs and the dogs in the bed? And you know what I mean? You're going to really have an amazing, uh, understanding man or partner that's going to be, you know, okay with that in, in a fickle sense. So, you know, if you live in a huge house and a farm and you could have that amount of animals or involved in rescue, hallelujah. You know what I mean? God bless you that you're there. I wish there were more people that were that way. But for the average human being, it's, kind of, it's too many dogs. You know, in that sense, again, stems from kindness, but um, there's the practicality and the physical limitations of a tangible world that we have to deal with. So when I wrote this piece, that was kind of a point that it was really strongly getting at, which is even if I could have rescued the cat, you know, how could I have done that? You know what I mean? I, could I have taken the cat? How would I even got it in? If it was drowning, you know what I mean? How would my other cats react to this? You know, if you if you read my, my columns that I send out, and again, I highly recommend, you know, to be added to the mailing list. Just email me and be added to the mailing list. Often I follow with a, a series of notes after a column. And I told a quick story in my notes recently about from about a month and a half ago where I had been coming home from a bank um, errands, and there was a cat in the road. This is much more recent, a few months ago. There's a cat in the road, and I pulled over to the side of the road, and I, I was trying to figure out what this cat is doing in the road. Now, thankfully, it was a small side street that didn't get a lot of traffic, but the closer I got to this cat, I realized it was feral and that it looked like it was hit by a car and there was something wrong with its back legs. And I had, you know, I had cat food in my hand because I keep cat food in the back seat of my car for ferals. And, you know, the cat hissed at me when I got close to it. And I thought about saving it and trying to save this cat and, you know, giving it the love that it needed. And, you know, I looked at it for a minute and then it just hit me like there was, I don't have a cat carrier. How would I lift it? I had clients in 45 minutes coming to my office. Like, it was just like I was trapped. 
So I'm frantically trying to call Animal Rescue, and of course you cannot get a human being on the phone. It's like one stupid ask, you know, desk to another in this mailbox, and can't get a person. I run over to an animal clinic nearby and ask her what to do, but you can't go inside because of COVID, and they don't let anybody go inside. You have to wait until the nurse uh, therapist comes out to you. Oh, so my head's ready to explode at this point. And she was awesome, though, and she finally came out. She gave me the number to call, and we were trying to call and trying to get through, and we could get nowhere. So finally, I just was like, um, I'm just going to have to sit and meditate and ask my angels and spirit guides to, like, have someone in that neighborhood who will come out and attend to this and figure out what the right thing to do was because I can't do anything and I got to get home to work and you know what I mean? And I'm damned if I do, damned if I don't. It was really tough. And that also spurred me running this old column about the drowning cat because it was a similar dynamic. And, you know, but what came out of it was this interesting realization. Like I keep cat food in the back seat of my car for ferals and I wanted to do as much as I could, even if I couldn't do really anything to save this poor animal. And I really cared. And, you know, I, you know, I've had sometimes people have questioned me in my life about whether I'm a good person, whether I do the right thing, questioning my detachment. And apparently I must be a pretty good guy that I feed feral cats out of the backseat of my car and that I care this much and that I wanted to save its life and all those other things. So it was really transformative for me and a number of clients that I talked to about recognizing not listening to that, that, that self-worth voice that sometimes tries to spark itself up. The good news in all this story is this. I finally drove by a couple weeks later, and it looked like the cat was gone, and they mean in a good way. There was no leftover markings. It looked like the cat was completely removed, like someone maybe potentially picked it up, or, you know, so even if it died and went back into the other world, maybe that was the blessing that it needed because it was too damaged and wounded in the first place. So I did sort of feel a bit better about that. So, yeah, drowning cat. So this is a line we all walk with, with helping and guiding and inspiring others and how much we can do. And I think the key is that, just to own that, you know, the fact that you want to and you want to help, is it makes you a good person. And when you can, you do. But then there are other times when you have to own how limited we might be and what we're able to do and, one, ask for help and assistance, and, two, own that. You know, we're not a bad person if we don't save every cat, every dog, every human, every person that's struggling. These are just realities of this world, and um, it doesn't take away your goodness, your kindness, and your caring. Um, there is that element of self-preservation. So, all right, looks like we're finished with our time here. Um, I'm noticing a couple of callers on the docket. A couple things here from my callers. I'm not going to be able to take calls today, but two weeks from now, I will be doing an astrology update show with a, a guest astrologer who is going to take your live calls and you'll be able to ask her questions about your own astrology charts. So check out the show in two weeks for call-ins. Um, typically when I do the column show read, um, I generally just don't have enough time to get to callers because uh, it's only a 45-minute show. So um, um, my apologies that I am not going to the callers that were in the docket today, uh, next time, um, two weeks from now. But typically, like I said, when I do the column read shows, I generally don't. Because most of the time, a lot of calls are asking for my kind of personal questions, and I try to stay on subject for, for everyone in a larger way. So, okay. So, um, again, uh, if you want information about my services, go to jimventure.com. Um, there are classes that I do both in home as well as um, you can do by phone or through Skype or FaceTime and things of that nature, Zoom. 
um, look up that information, uh, get added to my monthly mailer list at, uh, by emailing me, and I can add you to the column mailing list. And always mention your birthday when you sign up because it's a birthday promotion. I send that picture as well. And so all the good information available on my website. Great being with you today. Happy spring to everybody. I'll be back in two weeks from my astrology update show with my amazing guest, Ash, and she will be um, answering some of your questions. So, again, that will be a good call-in show to check out. So, all right, guys, happy start to the spring and uh, to better days and better energy ahead and all that good stuff, and we'll catch you next time. Cheers.